welcome to episode two of Katie May's Real Date Night. I'm Clint. I'm Josie. And based off of your voting, we, no surprise here, we went with the movie Hocus Pocus for this week. We're going to get into the movie aspect of the podcast a little later on. And for tonight, dinner was provided by Tolly's Bar and Grill in Granite Falls. And we were treated to a cornucopia of just delightfulness. Yes. Big thank you to Tully's. They provided us with two things off of their signature menu. The first is their shimmy shammer, which aside from being really fun to say, is absolutely delicious looking. And the other was an order of their street tacos, which also look fantastic. I am a street taco aficionado, so I will be the judge on how delicious these tacos are as we eat them here. Yes, and already, just if I can jump in on, you know, I'm not an aficionado, but I I like to think I have a little bit of merit in this field. Starting off, a lot of places, they make the mistake, and yes, I'm going to call it a mistake, of using flour tortillas for street tacos. I am already very impressed based off of the fact that Tully's is keeping it authentico and using corn tortillas. I do prefer the corn tortilla with any kind of taco, but if you're going to call it a street taco, you better have some street cred and use the corn tortilla. They're, in my opinion, a lot more flavorful, a lot tastier, and they aren't nearly as dry and chewy. No, so we're going to dive into these tacos and these uh, the shimmy shammer, and this just looks delightful. The shimmy shammer, like I said, it's really fun to say first off. Just shimmy shammer, shimmy shammer. Anyways, um, it is a massive pile of, well, all things delicious. You've got tater tots in there. You've got fried cheese curds. You have this amazing just layer of sauces. But what really seals the deal is they have this pulled pork yeah, on top. Do. Yeah, they do. And a lot of places, if you see pulled pork, I grew up in the South. We have a lot of barbecue down there. Pork can go one of two ways. It can be as dry as chewing up sawdust, or it can be tender and juicy and just melt in your mouth delicious. And this definitely looks to be the latter just from looking at it. No, you're absolutely right. And just looking at all of this food in front of us, it's going to be a fun night. Now, the reason... You know, a little bit of a spoiler alert. The reason why we chose between Paranormal Activity and Hocus Pocus this week is, wait for it. Yep, you guessed it. Those are going to be the Halloween classic features at the Montevideo Millennium Theater this weekend. And, you know, we we wanted to give the theater a little bit of love because last week, Hocus Pocus, you ready for this, was the number two movie in the box office. Not bad for a movie that was released 27 years ago. It beat out a lot. I mean, granted, there's not a lot in the box offices right now, but something that I talked about earlier in the week is you have to consider that people who have been showing Hocus Pocus, they've been doing it for discounted ticket prices. So instead of the $7.50, $8, $13 tickets that you're used to paying, a lot of places were doing $5, maybe even $7 if they were feeling feisty tickets, and it overall grossed seconds. If I I remember correctly, it was less than a $100,000 difference, if I can remember. Yeah, it was pretty close, and here's the deal. A lot of us have that movie at home on DVD, Blu-ray, and it is streaming on about five platforms right now. So the fact that people are going out to the movies, they're going out and supporting their local movie theaters, and they're getting to watch Hocus Pocus on the big screen, that shows, number one, how great the communities are coming together to help with their theaters, and number two, how much fun of a movie this actually is. 
I've been incredibly jealous. I have some friends that live out of state and they actually got to go see Hocus Pocus on a drive-in screen. That's cool. I, I was a little bit envious, but you know what? Maybe next year. Well, speaking of Hocus Pocus, at some point during the night, you told me that I have to take this test. Now, what test am I going to be taking here tonight? Well, I have always been a fan of those hokey quizzes that you see passed around on social media of um, go through and pick out these different things and we'll tell you what type of butterfly you are or based off of your taste in ramen, what world war would you have fought in? Well, I found one that's a little bit more straightforward, and I'm going to be quizzing you to find out which Sanderson sister you are. All right, and that's going to happen right here on the podcast, so we're not going to be able to doctor the results. It's going to happen probably in our second segment, because during the break, I definitely want to get just dive into these street tacos and into this shimmy shimmer. This all just looks so good here. But, you know, we're, we're having so much fun with this podcast, and... We're able to just take some of these classic movies that people... Because, look, there were a lot of people that wanted Paranormal Activity, and I get it. But Hocus Pocus won overwhelmingly this week on the vote. And I I do understand the, the favoritism behind, behind pay, uh, Paranormal Activity and some of our voters. And, you know, it's October. Spooky movies, things like that. And I do want to give Paranormal Activity just one little 30-second mention of... One thing that I absolutely love about it is they took the idea of found footage and they changed it around. And a lot of other found footage movies and everything leading up to there, the cameras had been on somebody, usually running through the woods. The cameras are shaky. You're getting little bits of interference and things. Granted, there are some moments inside the movie where that happened, but most of it was done on a home security system. And that in of itself was a really impressive turn on the found footage style. You're right, because, I mean, everything else you just described basically started in 1999 with Blair Witch but I, I do like the secure you know the, the way that they kind of switched that on paranormal activity but that is not the movie we are going to break down so that was just the quick little 30 second uh, not even a TED talk but the um, TED leaflet if you will it was it was the it, we're gonna call it the Clint's notes the Clint's notes there we go <laughs> although those can be pretty long sometimes we all know that so um one thing that I really absolutely love, I'm just going to jump right in here with Hocus Pocus. A lot of people have a misconception about the Salem witch trials, that these witches were burned at stakes. And that was how, you know, hundreds of people met their fiery end. What I love about Hocus Pocus is it does kind of keep a little bit of traditional roots towards the actual events that happen in Salem, not just in the time frame that the Sanderson sisters are placed in, but also the manner of which that witches were, manner of which, <laughs> manner of which the witches were, um, or alleged witches rather, were prosecuted. And a lot of people think that we had hundreds and hundreds of people. There were hundreds that were accused, but all in all, there were only 25, well, I shouldn't say only, there were 25 people that were hung or put to death during the Salem witch trials. Yeah, and you know, we have both been to a different parts in our lives. Uh, we have both been to the city of Salem, Massachusetts, and I, I've seen the memorial. I've seen the the areas that they have dedicated for this, and a lot like the movie Hocus Pocus, the town is celebrating, and it's weird that they're celebrating a dark period of time in the city's history, but there is a monument where. 
the famed 20 were have their memorials. I know there were 25 in total, but there were 20 famous ones. And then one really famous non-witch by the name of uh, Giles Corey. Yes. So there were 20 people um, that were directly executed during the Salem Witch Trials. 19 of them were hung in Gallows Hill in 1692. One man was accused and he refused to plead guilty or not guilty. So he was executed via a means called pressing. Yes. And I, I, oh, this is fantastic. I actually am an expert on this. I don't know why I became an expert, but. Well, I, I don't exactly want to squash your parade, but if, you, if, you, if you'd like, you can take this part away. And then I'll move into some of the other interesting tidbits of the events that occurred in this era. So Giles Corey was, as you mentioned, was accused. He refused to. He, he was he refused to basically admit guilt or innocence because it's one of those things where if you pled not guilty or guilty, you could have a trial. If you didn't, they really couldn't do anything to you. But he refused to make a plea, and he was a farmer in. in his, Massachusetts. His big thing was that if he pled guilty or not guilty, it would be justifying and saying that there was a reason to have these trials, if I remember correctly. You are exactly correct. So what he did was he refused to make a plea. So what the officials did with him is they took him to town and they were putting stones on his body. And the urban legend is now obviously 1692. Not many of us that are still, you know, not many people from there are still alive, you know, no one. But the urban legend is every time they would add more weight, they would ask him, how do you plead, guilty or not guilty? And his response was, add more weight. And eventually they kept adding stones until he was pressed to death by the stones. Yes, and that just... That doesn't sound like a great way to go. It's a it's technically a form of suffocation at that point. And out of all of the different ends that happened to the people in the Salem Witch Trials, I feel like that was one of the grislier ones. And you also have to take into account his age. He was in his 60s, if I remember correctly. He was a, he was definitely middle-aged. Well, middle-aged now, a little bit older for the time. That was, that was considered, with the life expectancy back in that time, he had basically lived a full life at that point. Honestly, I think that, that was kind of why he was like, you know, I'm not giving into this nonsense. Y'all can just do whatever you're going to do. You know, I believe you believe that if you will. The first historical enactment of I believe you believe that. The other people that were accused and died during the Salem Witch Trials, they actually died in prison. And the imprisonment of Salem Witches is actually kind of brought up and alluded to in Hocus Pocus. I've watched this movie a few times over the past few weeks, and of course, we're going to watch it again tonight because I love it. But I'll get more into that later about just kind of some fun facts about history of that time. And once again, more historical references that were made in a Disney movie that actually turned out to have some credibility and accuracy. Well, Mick Garris, one of the screenwriters, you know, he spent some time in Salem and he was writing and he wanted to get... A fun family movie, but he also wanted to, at the same time, show, you know, accuracy, as you mentioned it. And they did shoot a lot of shots in sound systems, but they did use a lot of the town of Salem for scenes in the movie, including the very infamous graveyard and the town hall where they did the dance scene. 
uh, for a, you're shaking your head. One of the graveyards is is from Salem. During the daytime scene, it was in Salem. However, yes. comma in all of the other scenes, it was actually produced on a soundstage. And in order to replicate it exactly, they actually had trees that were uprooted off of the East Coast, transported out to California, planted on the soundstage, and then I have no idea what became of those trees. Uh, they are probably by the wayside by now, and but they did they did the town hall where the you know the famous I put a spell on you dance that was done in Salem, and they they just had fun shooting in Salem again. It, it was a combination of Salem and a soundstage in Los Angeles, but I know that they were careful in Salem that one thing that they did not want to shoot was if you go to Salem there is in the middle of downtown Salem there is a statue for the show Bewitched. It didn't really take place there. It wasn't there, but because witches bewitched. So there is a statue for the show Bewitched in Salem. And they were careful about not shooting around that statue. And with that, that will take us into our first break. When we come back, we are going to dive into Hocus Pocus right here on Katie May's Real Date Night with Clint and Josie. Farm safety is not just for farmers. We should all take extreme precautions on the roadways during this upcoming harvest season. It takes only seconds for a car to reach a tractor on the highway. Once you notice a farm vehicle, slow down immediately. Only pass in the designated passing zone. Watch for entrances on the left side of the road as an operator may turn unexpectedly. Leanthrop Farmers Mutual reminds you that the patience is a trait that allows everyone to go home at the end of the day. Play it safe and slow down. This message has been brought to you by Leanthrop Farmers Mutual your local Grinnell Mutual member insurance company serving western and southwestern Minnesota since 1886. Winter's chill is here again, but no matter what the season brings, you can be warm and comfortable with a high-efficiency Coleman furnace from Olson Plumbing and Heating in Montevideo. Known for rugged dependability and tremendous value, Coleman products stand the test of time. Plus, every Coleman unit is backed by an industry-leading warranty. Call Olson Plumbing and Heating, your local Coleman dealer at 320-269-7574. And take advantage of their 10-year parts and labor plan on Coleman Home Comfort Systems. Also reminding you to be safe during the busy farming season. And we're back here on KDMA's Date Night. I'm Clint. I'm Josie. And tonight we are talking about the movie Hocus Pocus, and we are enjoying some delicious food from Tully's Bar and Grill in Granite Falls, including their shimmy shammer and their fantastic street tacos. Yes, I have to make a little bit of a confession. Uh-oh. I might have, during the break, started kind of nibbling a little bit on the shimmy shammer just because it looks so sinfully delicious and it it looked lonely and it looked like it wanted to be my friend. And Nibble, you, you stabbed me in the hand with your plastic fork when I tried to get the, the, the tater tot section over there. Well, lay off my tots. <laughs> Fair enough. But no, absolutely fantastic food again once again this week and I'm over the moon excited about it. I'm not from the Midwest, and something that we definitely don't have back east or in the south are fried cheese curds. Well, we kind of do. We have mozzarella sticks, which I guess is like a second cousin, twice removed, to cheese curds. It's the cousin you don't look forward to seeing at the reunion. I don't know. I've looked forward to them all my life. But I have to admit, cheese curds are becoming something that I'm really growing a fond appreciation for. The only other time I've had them in my life before here was uh, I had poutine once, but they weren't fried. So this is honestly, this is 
if you were to take all of the influences of poutine and bring them down from Canada and stick them in the Midwest, instead of having French fries, you have tater tots. Instead of regular cheese curds, you have them fried. Instead of duck, you have this delicious pork. Instead of gravy, you have this mixture of barbecue. And I think this might be like a ranch sauce. It, it, it's delicious, whatever it is. It's like the Midwestern poutine is what we have in front of us. And it is amazing. All of the flavors blend together well. And I have to give Tully's, I'm going to have to give you five stars on your pork. As somebody who has traveled all over the world, eaten barbecue all over the world, this is grady. This actually took me back to some of the Lexington style barbecue that I used to get back in North Carolina. And as somebody who's traveled like I have, you know, living in North Carolina also, a couple different parts of my life, uh, having been to Tennessee several times and having the Memphis style, having eaten my weight in Kansas City style barbecue a lot, and of course, Texas. This is right up there with those regions and absolutely fantastic. And now let's jump in as we're eating this delicious food. Let's start talking about Hocus Pocus. Well, let's talk about Hocus Pocus, but let's not forget about these street tacos, Clint. Oh, yeah, these street tacos. Just Holy because you cow. are guarding them over there does not mean that I am going to ignore them today. I, like I, I said before, they... <laughs> yeah, I saw them. Like I said before, I love how they're using corn tortillas. Um, you can see a lot of cilantro just finely chopped up. Onions, the, the pork, it looks to be the same kind of consistency of pork when you're looking at it that is used on the shimmy shammer however the flavor profiles are 1000 percent different and these these are amazing yeah it's like a carnitas type of uh taste with them and just so good and at the beginning of the show i said that i am definitely a street taco aficionado and these are not only passing the bar these are these are setting the bar around here for tacos i feel like when 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 i'm talking tacos and when i'm going into tacos if you're if you're talking chicken, chicken is such an easy meat. It's really hard to mess up chicken. It's really hard. Same thing with beef. A lot of places, you know, if, they, if they're making tacos, they'll use ground beef. And if Taco Bell can do it with really low quality beef, I mean, anybody can use beef. But when you're using pork, pork is a very finicky meat. It can either be too tender or you can end up chewing on old shoe leather. There's really no in-between. And Tully's has nailed this. Yeah, the, these street tacos are absolutely fantastic. Complete A-plus on this course and something that we didn't have tonight, but I've eaten my weight in before, is their dill or their garlic dill pickle pizza. That is something, when I first heard about garlic dill pickle pizza, it's something in thought and theory that sounds, okay, you know, this is, this is an interesting combination. However... It slaps. It was actually a really great combination, and I loved their their usage of when I thought dill pickle pizza, I was thinking red sauce and going mm, might be a little bit too much acidity. But everything is really well balanced on the palate. Yeah, they they got it an A plus for that. It just the people in the kitchen they know their snuff. Yeah, they definitely know how to prepare a fantastic meal. So when you're out about this weekend. Go into Tully's, tell them that Clint and Josie sent you, and you will not be disappointed with whatever meal you end up getting. All right, so let's quickly jump into Hocus Pocus here. I wanted to also bring up, we were talking about a lot of the things that were done in the early, just kind of conceptual stages of creating Hocus Pocus. And it's interesting because Disney actually bought the script for this in 1984 and sat on it for eight years. 
It was originally supposed to be called Disney's Halloween House, and it was supposed to be much, much scarier. And a lot of people have had suspicions that maybe, just maybe, it was originally supposed to be kind of towards the Haunted Mansion movie. Okay. Um, thankfully, it wasn't. Unfortunately, the Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion movie still did end up being made. Yeah, unfortunately for that. Like, I love Eddie Murphy. I will always love Eddie Murphy until the day that I die. He can do no wrong except for make Haunted Mansion movies. So let's start off with some of the, the opening lore inside of this movie. You start off with this idea where, you know, the witches, they, they went ahead, they captured a child. I think everybody at this point knows the story of Hocus Pocus, so I believe that we can speak pretty openly about it. It's almost 30 years old, so... I think we're safe. Um, so part of the lore and legend is that the witches are not to come back until a virgin comes in and lights the black flame candle. As a kid, I always loved just the idea of the black flame candle. And this was actually the first movie where Disney used digital effects. Just your little fun fact for the day. I did not know until this week that you can actually make black flame. Oh? Yes, you can go ahead and, well, I will not recommend this and I don't recommend you doing this at home, but professionals have taken table salt, which is just a pretty common thing. They've dissolved it in methanol, not a common thing, and it creates a low point black flame. And here, look at this. Isn't this weird? Yeah, that that flame is black. Yes, it's a black flame. And it's been one of those things that I have always meant to look up, but before YouTube and Google really existed, we, you know, didn't have that. And I, I also love a few of the other things that are mentioned over the, the first opening bits of the movie, just with the, the lore of the cat. Um, one thing that always kind of stuck out in my mind is why is the cat unable to talk he spends 300 years walking around, roaming through the streets. He never once talks to anybody. Also, realistically, if a cat... Uh, I'm going to pause. He talks to the kids throughout the most of the movie. Up until then, he says nothing. And he could have very... Why didn't he go up to his dad when he was rubbing up on his dad's leg in cat status and going, hey, yo, it's, you know, it's me. Maybe it took him 300 years to learn to talk. Maybe. There is a fan theory going around that the only reason that he can talk is because the spell was set back into motion with the Sanderson sisters. That's a, a legit theory because he does not appear again and talk until that candle is lit, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe he just didn't like anybody. I mean... Maybe Thackeray's just sitting there going, you know, I'm just going to sit here and wait for my wets and I'm gonna <laughs> play with some balls of string and... She's going to guard this house, and I just don't want to talk to him. You know, I don't want to people anymore. Yeah, yeah, you know, honestly, if, if if I got turned into a cat, I would probably just cruise around and do cat things. Like he said, he goes down to the crypts, he hunts mice. So I feel like we've been tap dancing around this, and I think it is finally time for us to have you do this quiz to find out which Sanderson sister you are. Well, we're going to save that for our third segment, so let's kind of put the let's put that on hold for just a couple minutes as we'll save that for our segment number three. But the point that you bring up about the cat and the, the spells and everything, what I like is I like the use of book. Yes. And it reminds me a lot of the Necronomicon. 
From the Evil Dead movies, yes. Only Book has one eye versus having a little bit more of kind of like a the face kind of thing going on. And, uh, you know, I think that just the best type, the best casting in this movie, uh, it's none, none of the Sanders sisters. It's the role of um, Billy by the great Doug Jones. So I was this... It was this week that I finally realized that it was Doug Jones playing Billy. And if you're not familiar with Doug Jones, if you've ever watched Hellboy, if you've ever watched The Shape of Water, uh, back me up here on... Pan's Labyrinth. You have probably seen Doug Jones a hundred times and not recognized him because Doug Jones is like Johnny Depp. You don't really ever see him in his true form. I I think you're thinking of Gary Oldman, but... Him too. What I love about Doug Jones, he has just a very naturally kind of willowy and almost sci-fi build to him. He is incredibly, incredibly tall, incredibly lanky. He's just this very lean and if they were to make another Slenderman movie, they have to cast him and he can just put on a suit and there he is. He's just very noodly. Yeah, and he's been doing this a long time. The funny thing is I've seen so many movies with Doug Jones I don't know if I've heard him say 10 things. I mean, Abe Sapien in the Hellboy movies, he said a few, quite a bit, but... He was a chatty Cathy in that one. Probably because he can't talk in any other movie. He, he went ahead and just got all of his words out for the for the decade in that one. He is the stuntman Silent Bob. <laughs> yeah, I made a, a Kevin Smith reference and that that. I'm going to make it to our break. And when we come back, yes, I will take the quiz and find out which Sanderson sister I am right here on KDMA's Date Night, KDMA's Real Date Night. The Dryer Doctors in Montevideo offer a grain dryer preseason inspection on all farm fans and most GSI grain dryers. This 20-point inspection runs from June through September and is meant to ensure your dryer is ready before you need it. Come harvest, we run three fully stocked service fans seven days a week and are able to get you back up and running with minimal time lost. If you would like to get on our preseason list, please give us a call at 320-321-1600. Visit their website, dryerdoctors.com, and like them on Facebook, The Dryer Doctors. This is Kevin Tabeast of Anderson Tabeast Funeral Home. As licensed morticians, we have received the highest levels of training. We will do our part to protect the community, our staff, and the families we serve during this pandemic. Whether you wish to do advanced planning or have lost a loved one, we will be there to meet with you personally at any of our locations or we have the ability to make arrangements online or by telephone. While this is a difficult time for all of us, please be assured that at Anderson to Beast Funeral Home, we will continue to offer unique and meaningful ways to celebrate the life of your loved one. And we're back here. Segment number three, Katie May's Real Date Night. I'm Clint. I'm Josie. And I'm about to be a Sanderson sister, apparently. Yes, so I have pulled up one of the most tried and true and trustworthy ways of determining anything about somebody, and that is a BuzzFeed quiz. So as a witch, do you aim to be vain, cruel, or liked? Cruel. Cruel? Which of these colors is the most bewitching? Blood orange, deep violet, or emerald green? Deep violet. Which of these powers do you desire most? The ability to cast spells, the ability to fly, or the ability to enchant people? Fly. Fly? What is your ideal mode of transportation? Bus, walking, or a broom, of course? I mean, I feel like I'm being fed that question, so I'm going to go with, you know what, I'm going to go with broom. Why not? Okay. 
I don't, like, a, I don't like the bus. Here's a fun one. Which of the which of these Disney witches do you like the best? Ursula, Maleficent, or the Evil Queen? You're gonna have to definitely help me out on these ones. Okay, Ursula, Tentacle Lady, White Hair, Under the Sea, Little Mermaid, Maleficent, Angelina Jolie. She's got horns on her head. The Evil Queen. Well, that could apply to a couple different things, but it's more than likely talking about the Evil Queen from Snow White. All right, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be magnificent. Maleficent. That one too. What is your weapon of choice? Electrokinesis, casting a spell, or hypnosis? Hypnosis. What is your best trait? (laughs) Are you playful, smart, or loyal? Loyal. Loyal. What do you dislike most? Being called ugly, being rejected, or getting old? Being rejected. What is your biggest weakness? Men, food, or your short temper? (laughs) I'm going to go with hmm, food or my short temper, especially now. I'm going to go with my temper. Okay. How would you seek revenge? You don't need to take it however you're told or trying to inflict the most amount of pain possible. Most amount of pain possible. And which witch's accessory could you not live without? A book of spells, a cauldron, or a broom? A book of spells. And I believe this is our last question. What is your biggest fear? Others disproving of you, your failure, or losing your looks? The first one. You got Winnie. Okay. You got Winnie. You're a natural born leader with great powers, but also highly sensitive. I don't know about all of that, but most of that's true. So, <laughs> yep, apparently I am Winifred Sam, uh, S- Sanderson. That is. Played by the great Bette Midler. Uh, the, you know, the Sanderson sisters. Bette Midler played uh, Winnie. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker played uh, Sarah and uh, Kathleen and Jimmy, who a lot of us remember as the voice of Peggy Hill. She played Mary Sanderson. And the funny thing about Sarah Jessica Parker is she has some kind of family ties to the original witch trials. Now, if you go to Salem, they'll tell you, oh, it's this one uh, named Mary Parker. And they went last name based off of that. But they don't really know who it was and maybe they do, but there's so many back and forth with, I know Josie, you were looking at that earlier and I know you were telling me that it wasn't Mary Parker. It was somebody else that wasn't one of the big 20. Yes. uh, I'm trying to find it or remember it, but it was one of the people that was actually accused of being a witch and she ran off and basically, she basically dipped. Um, she was related to Esther Elwell, and she was arrested in Salem, Massachusetts in the late 1600s for committing sundry acts of witchcraft and also choking a neighbor to death. Her case never went to court. She escaped with her life, and when the accusations ended in Salem Witch Trials, she said, it has changed everything about who I thought I was. And after that, it seems like she just kind of went off the grid. If now, there even was a grid back then. Yeah, the, the, if there was a grid at all, as you mentioned. But now to really understand the witch trials, uh, another good movie to pick up on is the movie The Crucible with Winona Ryder because it kind of gives you an accurate depiction of back in 1692, all you had to do, for example, if, if I was a landowner and you were a landowner and I wanted your land, all I would have to do is accuse you of being a witch. And you couldn't prove it. You couldn't disprove it. So it would go to a tribunal and they would bring in 
uh, reverends to be the judges, and there was no jury back then. It was a seven. It was anywhere from a three to a seven member um, tribunal uh, full of judges. And me, the accuser, all I would have to say is, Josie's spirit is right there. She's launching her spirit at me, and I would act like I'm in pain. And it would get the town up in such a frenzy. And if you couldn't disprove it, you were found guilty of being a witch, and I would get your land. Yes, and what <clears throat> what was interesting, um, I'm using the word interesting because I really don't have any other words to quite disdain what Fair. I mean here. Like you said, almost anything could get pinned some get somebody pinned as being a witch. For example, I have freckles. I have a lot of freckles. Freckles were considered to be the markings of Satan. If in the event that I was married and I argued with my husband, if somebody had a sudden sickness come on, they could say, well, you know, I saw my neighbor outside. If your farm animals fell ill, a lot of things, just anything, basically, a lot of the... A lot of the records that were kept during the Salem Witch Trials, a lot of them go back to just basically people pissed at their neighbors. And what better way to show old man Withers that you're done with him than by saying, well, his wife's a witch. There's nothing he could do about that. A lot of these things were just people that were honest to God, just fed up with their neighbors. Pretty much. And again, that whole, if I wanted your land, that that's not just me making that up. That is a lot how a lot of those witch trials came to be in 1692. It was, I want your land, so I'm going to accuse you of being a witch. There's also, um, I have a child, and kids sometimes make up stories. And one of the most famous was a girl named Abigail Williams. She was 11 or 12 years old when the witch trials were really going on. And she went around accusing every single person that she had just built up a resentment for, which apparently was a really long list by the age of 11. If anything, you have to kind of admire her thoroughness to holding on to grudges. She went through and she accused everyone that she could think of. If she had a school teacher that she just didn't like, if somebody looked at her the wrong way, and this girl racked up a few dozen different things, which led a lot of women into going into prisons. Like I said, a few people, a few people that were accused actually ended up dying in prison. And that number, a lot of people believe it's five. I believe that it probably was more. It probably was more. And you bring up Abigail <laughs> Williams. She's definitely the most famous of the group. Obviously, they aged her up a little bit in the Crucible. And that's who Winona Ryder played in that film. She also uh, did this with another girl named Betty Paris. So what's interesting about the present thing, coming, coming full circle back around to Hocus Pocus here. There's a scene where they find the guy that is doing a lobster boil. And one of the witches, was it Meriwether? Yeah, Meriwether goes, ooh, it sounds like scrud. It smells like scrud. And the other witches are going, how do you know what this is? Well, here's a little bit of a fun fact for you. Scrud was originally what people called lobsters. When settlers first landed in America, there were so many lobsters they didn't know what to do with. They called them the cockroaches of the sea, and they were actually used as prison food. Now they're not serving lobster in prison. I've never been to prison, but that's a very safe bet that they're not serving lobster in prison. They were ground up. The lobsters were actually ground up, used as fertilizer. But one fun fact for you is before the American Revolution, there were a lot of people who were working on ships and boats and dock workers, and they actually went on strike and threatened that they would not work anymore because they were being served lobster more than three times a week. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's not a complaint now. It's like, all right, we're getting lobster again. But because of the fact that Meriwether actually knew what that was, lobster was exclusively served 
to widows and prisoners for the most part, or eventually it became fed to lower working class. It it started off as the lowest of the low food. It implies that Meriwether at some point in time was inside of prison during Salem. Well, yeah, Mary Sanderson, she um, she definitely has a, a knack for throwing out little factoids that you're like, how would she know what that is? And then you're like, well, okay, now we kind of get it. Yeah, and that was, you know, I have a lot of just weird knowledge just shaking around my head, such as the fountain at the end of Hocus Pocus that they celebrate in is actually the exact same fountain from the opening of Friends. And Friends, one of the recurring themes is finding somebody's lobster. And Phoebe goes so far as to call someone a scrud. Full circle. (laughs) Friends came out a year after Hocus Pocus. There we are. But no, the the movie's a, a fun movie and... Again, it's a Disney movie. It's it's set up for families. But if you really do some digging and some prodding into it, you'll find that... There's a lot of historical Easter eggs. There really are. And back in... Now, were the people being accused of witchcraft in 1692, were they flying around in brooms? Were they casting potions and spells? Probably not. It could just be somebody making a really, really gross soup and, you know, their kids going, oh, it was... I swear it was a potion... No, that's boiled cabbage, sweetheart. Look, all right, I, I, I told you the story about my mom's cooking in confidence, all right? <laughs> I, I wasn't going to bring it up, but... <laughs> but no, um, Mick Garris, when he co-penned this uh, film back when he did, you know, there's a lot of little historic gems that are touched upon. And there were a lot of people that they got accused of being a witch so much, they just said, you know what, fine. You're going to accuse me of being a witch. I'm going to start acting like one. Yeah. So that kind of is the story. You know, we don't know the Sanderson sisters' backstory, but that'd be a cool prequel. So, funny you should mention wanting to know about the Sanderson sisters' backstory. Were you aware that Disney signed off and authorized that they are in the works of making Hocus Pocus 2? I've been hearing that for years. It has officially been confirmed by Disney, and when it comes out, it'll be coming out onto their streaming platform, Disney+. And as of right now, it looks like all three of the original Sanderson sisters are set up, rip-born, ready to go. And I am hoping and praying that it's a backstory. And one thing that I love, yes, all three of them have aged. That just goes with the storyline of these witches at this point. It does. And I know that I read about a year ago an interview with Sarah Jessica Parker, who... She was just thrilled to do, you know, like, she's like, yeah, give me a script. I'm ready for this. I want to play this role again. Same she, thing with Kathy and Jimmy. She sitting up and they had these harnesses where they sat them up so that way they could ride the brooms. And she found the harnesses to be so comfortable. She actually brought books up with her. And on set break, she would say, just leave me here. This is fine. But the amount of love and dedication that she had for this movie can be summarized in one sentence. That spider that she ate was a real spider. It really was. And she did it enthusiastically. And Kathy and Jimmy, who plays Mary Sanderson, she's gone out and done the convention scene over the last couple of years. And when people have asked her, is there going to be a hocus pocus to her answer is always the same. I really hope that there is because I would love to play that role again. It was such a fun role. And what I love the most is it's original charactering, which doesn't happen very often in the Disney universe. Let's be completely honest here. Aside from the Disney Channel original movies, most things in the Disney universe are things about like Grimm's fairy tales or 
second tellings or iterations of things. So for something completely original to take this much success is fantastic. So yeah, so the short answer is, yeah, I'm hoping for a sequel, a prequel, whichever you, however they came to do it, fantastic. Or maybe a little bit of both where you get some backstory, but it's a continuing of the story of the Denison family of, you know, do they bring back Thackeray Binks? Do they go into that a little bit? There, there's so much that they can do with this. You just hope that they don't rush it. What I'm honestly hoping, I was hoping that it was going to come out this year because this Halloween is going to be the first time since 1925 that we have what's called a blue moon, which is a full moon on October 31st, Halloween. In order for this to happen, there has to be two full moons in the month of October, but also daylight savings time. Both of those are occurring because it's 2020. We're getting a blue moon and daylight savings on Halloween. And if they were to have made a sequel, this would have been the time. This would have been the time, but I I think the time for release... I, I don't want to have him push it out to 2023 for a 30 year in the making, but with everything that's going on, I, I, I don't mind that they're taking their time on this one. I, I don't mind it, but I, I kind of, there's a part of me that just kind of goes, you know, that would have been really cool to really fully tie in, you know, the Sanderson sisters went away on Halloween, full moon, daylight savings, but you know, I'm going to still just appreciate the daylights out of that movie. Well played. <laughs> I was saving that pun for later. Nice. Another time, if you will. So, yeah, no official word on any of the storylines. Or we just know that when it does happen, and I believe that Doug Jones would be wanting to jump involved with this as well. So you're going to have your four main people back. Ooh, what I would love to see Thor Birch because for those that don't know, Danny in the movie, she was eight years old in the movie. She would go on to be... Um, have a key role in the 1999 Oscar, mini multi-Oscar winning film, American Beauty. And Thor Birch, very talented actress. You know, you'd love to see her all these years later reprising the role of maybe, maybe she's the mom in this one. What I would love to see is a backstory where it shows how the three sisters come together. Um, based off of genetics, it is highly unlikely that they are actually all fully biologically related. But it would be awesome to see a backstory of how they came together and also how the fate of Billy happened. Because they mentioned that he was a former lover of one, if not all, of the sisters. So it would be interesting to kind of see that. Yeah, where, you know, the, as you mentioned, to kind of piggyback mm -hmm. off that, where he was the lover of Winnie. He had a seedy affair with Sarah. And Winnie just... Killed him and tied his mouth shut so he couldn't talk about it in death. And on that happy note, we will take our final break. When we come back, we are going to, if we haven't devoured these street tacos and shimmy-shammers during the break, we're going to finish these up. We're also going to wrap up on Hocus Pocus and give some final fun facts right here on KDMA's Real Date Night. Grain bins, wagons, and trucks are involved in several grain suffocations or grain drownings each year. Grain flowing from the bottom 
through an unloading auger or by gravity acts much like quicksand. Keep children out of bins, wagons, and trucks. If you must enter a bin to check storage conditions, shut off and lock out all unloading equipment. Treat the bin as a potentially dangerous confined space. This farm safety message has been brought to you by Edward D. Jones, Harlan Gregor's financial advisor, located at 1315 Grove Avenue in Montevideo. The Montevideo Scenics Travel Plaza, located at the junction of highways 212 and 59 in Montevideo, is open for your convenience seven days a week from 5.30 a.m. to 10 p.m. The Scenics Travel Plaza features all of your gas, diesel, propane, and E85 needs for all of your favorite quick stop snacks and meals to go. Also, you'll find daily specials Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. or until gone, plus famous caribou coffee, Hunt Brothers pizzas, and tasty hot chicken. Three locations just for you. The Travel Plaza on Scenic Seastore in Montevideo. The Granite Falls Seastore Highway 23 and 212. All ready to serve you. We're back here. Fourth and final segment of Katie Mae's Real Date Night. I'm Clint. I'm Josie. And tonight we're talking Hocus Pocus. And we are eating street tacos and shimmy shammers from Tully's Bar and Grill in Granite Falls. And a big thank you to them for providing our food tonight. And don't forget, you can go see Hocus Pocus and Paranormal Activity, along with The New Mutants. Those are the three movies playing in the Montevideo Millennium Theater this weekend. Showtimes for this weekend, tonight, 7 o'clock. Also, uh, for tomorrow, 3.30 and 7 o'clock. And then on Sunday, 3.30 only showing. So those are your showtimes for the Montevideo Millennium Theater this weekend. So we're talking, we talked about the... The Disney, you know, coming together saying, hey, that there's finally going to be Hocus Pocus 2. We've talked about the the historical aspects. I found out through a quiz that Josie gave me that I'm Winifred San, uh, Sanderson. And let's, uh, let's put the wraps up on this for our final segment. What I thought was fun in the movie... A uh, little Easter egg, but those who are movie buffs w- would have realized it, though. Penny Marshall and Gary Marshall, her brother, played husband and wife in this movie. And right before these sisters actually went into their house, I don't know if you caught it when we were watching, but there's a little kid outside of their house, and he has a Michael Myers mask on while wearing a clown costume. Yes. So there's another little Easter egg. Another fun thing, I've been talking about a lot of witch connections going on, you mentioned the bewitched statue in the center of Salem. What is another famous, just fict- fictional witch that you can think of just right off the bat that was a huge, huge, huge success? Wizard of Oz. She wasn't terribly successful. But what about Sabrina? So Yeah, okay. Sabrina the Teenage Witch. So Sabrina the Teenage Witch actually came out a year after this movie was made, and If you've ever looked at Banks and gone, wow, that cat looks kind of familiar, there's a reason for that. Instead of wasting the fact that they came up with this amazing animatronic cat, they actually went ahead and gave Banks a new job as Salem inside of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. So you're telling me that the Thackeray Banks cat is not a real cat? Well, they did use some aspects of a real cat. They actually, for some scenes where the cat's running around, they filmed a real cat, but then they superimposed a cat's face over it. I thought there was a real talking cat in Salem. No. Um, but if I do ever find a talking cat, does that mean I can keep it? No. I mean, you know, you talked about your situation with you have three cats at home. I think that's more than enough cats for anybody to have at home. It's not my fault they keep finding me. 
It's somebody's fault, all right. I've always found it so relatable when the little girl runs into the house. Mom, Dad, we found a cat. We're keeping it. Yeah, if that happened at my house, uh, that, that just it just everyone would be having a bad time. <laughs> Maybe, probably. I don't know. I don't make a lot of rules. <laughs> so, uh, Hocus Pocus. It came out in 1993. As of last week, was the number two box office in the theaters. And I think that that it's probably going to go down this week. I don't know if theaters are going to continue to showing it each week, but what I love about Hocus Pocus is, you know, you have great acting in it. You know, Vanessa Shaw, she's gone on to do several other things since that. Um, you had, we've already mentioned Doug Jones. We've already mentioned Thor Birch and we've mentioned the Sanderson sisters. But what I think the real star of this movie is the town of Salem, Massachusetts. And the reason for that, it's a gorgeous little community just outside of Boston. There are four seasons there, just like Minnesota. Mm, you haven't lived in Massachusetts. They don't exactly have four seasons, but... Yeah, winter, still winter, almost winter, and road construction. No, you have blizzards galore, you have still blizzards, you have heat wave, and then you have a week where it's fall, the leaves change colors, and it's a lot like the Whomping Willow from Harry Potter. It shakes off the leaves quickly and you're back to blizzards. Well, my, my time in New England, um, it, it's, it's, a night, it's very picturesque is the, the big word of the day that I still need to Google or look up in the dictionary. But what I like about Salem is there are parts of Salem that are very, very touristy. Then there are parts of Salem that they they kept, a, you know, they kept it looking like it they didn't change a lot. No, with a lot of places, whenever they're filming there, they put facades up in front of it or. Uh, I had a family member that was in charge of doing a lot of stuff with the cities in uh, New York. And when they were doing a lot of like the Spider-Man movies back when they were still filming movies because COVID wasn't here, they would have to close off a lot of things and they would film things in such a way to kind of hide or show, which is, I mean, yes, that's photography 101, but they would do a lot of flash and glamour. With Salem, they didn't really doll it up or drab it down. No, because they didn't need to. It was pretty much what they wanted to work with. It wasn't like they were shooting in Vancouver and calling it Salem. They were shooting in Salem and calling it Salem. Yeah, there were sound sets, but a lot of the outdoor stuff was Salem. And I love the the fact that the community celebrates Halloween. It's like it's a big deal in Salem. They had the teacher that was getting involved in the beginning of the movie. The, the kids were out having a blast trick-or-treating. Um, you had all of that just Halloween feel to it. And that's what makes the movie just work. It's, a, it's an overall fun movie. It's timeless. No matter if you love the real big horror movies like I do or if you only like the kid-friendly movies, the, the movie works for anybody, whether you have kids or not. It's just a fun movie. Now, one fun thing, we mentioned how a lot of it was done in Salem. And I'm honestly surprised that you didn't know about this and you haven't mentioned it. So Halloween comes right before Thanksgiving. But what is the next really big holiday? Christmas. What is one of the biggest 
Christmas movies. That is the gift that keeps on giving, Clint. All year round. Uh, Christmas vacation. Did you notice the house that was shot in front of at the very end of Hocus Pocus? When Max is celebrating it at the end after the witches are burnt, the house that is behind him, that is the house from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. You probably didn't recognize it without 75,000 bulbs on it, though. That's interesting because I was always led to believe that that movie was, in fact, shot in Illinois. But actually, it might have been California, though. It was in L.A., and that's what I was saying with, you know, having done a lot of the stuff in Salem. Towards the end there, they did start moving things off of the back lot. They actually shot in Salem about four or five months, got a lot of the city scenery, then moved things out in L.A. And that is one thing where at first I was excited. I was like, oh, wow, the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation House is here in Massachusetts. I live in Massachusetts. Oh, shoot, it's in L.A. Well, that's only a nice little 27-hour drive. And yesterday, Thursday, was Chevy Chase's birthday, 77. Congratulations, Mr. Chevy. I mean, it, it has no bearing on this, but, you know, it's just, it's out there. And, but no, uh, let, let's wrap up here. A plus two, uh, Tully's Bar and Grill tonight for the delicious food. They provided the shimmy shammer. They provided the street tacos. They were both fantastic. We've been uh, noshing on them all, you know, this entire almost hour here. And Hocus Pocus, it's been kind of running in the background as we've been talking tonight. Again, overall fun movie. I enjoyed, you know, talking about it tonight. I enjoyed the movie. Favorite scene in Hocus Pocus? Ooh, I think my favorite scene in Hocus Pocus. That is a tough one. I'll let you go first while I mull on this one. Well, for me, it still is, was, and will always be the I put a spell on you scene inside the town hall where um, Winnie got everyone just complete into a daze and they just danced the night away in the town hall and a lot of it was the song i put a spell on you that was that's still my favorite scene and it's just a lot of fun the scene that always stuck out most to me to a, as a kid was when sarah jessica parker was flying over the town and singing to the children and having them uh you know go into their trance to go with them just that scene was always her siren call, basically. Yeah, her siren call. And with Sarah Jessica Parker, I mean, especially with what I saw when I was growing up, seeing that side of her was completely different than what I ever saw whenever I, you know, cruised through daytime television, happened to land on Sex in the City. <laughs> well, for me, you know, I loved her when I was a kid, you know, in the movie Footloose. That movie, you know, Hocus Pocus was always fun. But do you have a favorite line from the movie? For me, it's I smell children. I love that line. Kathy and Jimmy's line. Just, I smell children. I smell children. That is a good one. That is a really good one. I See, the whole entire movie is completely quotable. That's that's the hard thing here is you have, honestly, I, I think when his sister is sassing him for having lit the candle and she says, oh yeah, well, the, the candle was lit by a bonehead virgin. Just the sass and vindiction that she delivers that line with has always made me laugh. Like she is, she's supposed to be like eight, nine years old, but she is already smack talking with the big dogs. Yeah, she really is. And, you know, Thora Birch's lines in that movie were great. And she was definitely a fun character to watch. Or when he has the lighter and he's uh, holding it up to the smoke, smoke sprinklers, the fire sprinklers. Yes. The rain of death. The rain of death. The rain of death. And with the rain of death, we must unfortunately bring this show to a conclusion. 
Let's go ahead and rate the movie really quick, though. We set a precedent last week, and if yep. we don't follow through on this, I mean, who are we anymore? That's very true. So we gave it a seven stars. Uh, last week for Saw, seven out of five is what we gave it. Or five out of seven, rather. Oh, it was five out of seven, correct. Five out of seven. All right, so, but we set the seven star bar, and for Hocus Pocus, I'm going to give it a four and a half stars. Not quite the seven. Uh, and the reason I'm going to go four and a half is because. I would have liked to have gotten more backstory in the beginning of the movie rather than right to what they were doing. I would have liked a little bit more backstory for me. I am going to go the complete opposite end. And I am going to say that it was an easy six out of seven stars because this was a Disney movie. You have to remember that this was like one of the first times that Disney went out on a spooky venture. This was also right before The Nightmare Before Christmas came out. This was something outside of Disney's usual taste for them to put out two Disney movies that were Halloween themed and horror themed in a sense in the same year is already remarkable, let alone the casting of it. You had the development, you had the historical references, you had the fact that it was number two in the box office almost 30 years later, I feel like says that it is a very timeless movie that was well executed, well produced, and it leaves a lot of opening for sequels and prequels and lore, maybe like a... a an original Disney like series where it's maybe like 10 episodes taking a look as to what like Netflix does and stuff. And I, I give it a six out of seven just because it is a timeless movie that is thoroughly enjoyable. Every time you watch it, you pick up on new little things. Very good point. And like I said, I was being pretty nitpicking with it. I just, I love backstories and I would have loved to have seen that backstory. And you know, if I get the backstory in part two, my rating on this one can go up. That's literally what was holding it back was I just would have liked to see more on their story. And I, and I know that's not what the movie's focusing on. It's focusing on lighting the candle and getting them to the now. But I would have loved to have seen how they came to be where they were in 1693. It's also one of the few movies where Disney didn't kill off the parents. So I'm giving them some points for that one. Well, there's that too. And on that note, we are going to wrap up and we will do this again next week. And uh, during the week, we will let you know what the two choices are and let you vote again. I believe I'll be putting my post up on Monday and we'll be letting you vote between the two choices. And if you, if you listen to the podcast, please, if you, especially if you've hit at this point, let us know what you thought. Let us know what your thoughts and feelings are and let us know what you want to hear. For Josie, I'm Clint, and thank you for tuning in. This has been Katie May's Real Date Night.